Hello and welcome to Alert Radio for people who want to change the world. I'm Jeff Hughes. And I'm Chris Elby. On the program today, I'll be having a chat with Herman Rosenfeld, who will talk to us about a workers' assembly that just occurred in the Toronto area. And I'll be talking to David Jacks, resource coordinator for the Canadian Federation of Students Manitoba, and a very important resource, water. Also, a guest interview with Dam, the Arabian MCs, Palestine's premier rap crew who recently visited Winnipeg and are the, the subject of a feature film called Slingshot Hip Hop. We'll also have Mitch Podolik with Floods and Hurricanes. We're here with David Jacks today of the Canadian Federation of Students Manitoba, and he's here to talk to us about a very important issue, one that has been on the radar for quite a while, water. David Jacks, welcome to Alert Radio. Thank you very much. First off, what is the Canadian Federation of Students for the listeners out there who may not be familiar with the organization? So the Canadian Federation of Students is Canada's national student organization. We bring together about 500,000 students uh, from across the country, from coast to coast, uh, to work on issues around post-secondary education, from affordability, accessibility, and quality of our post-secondary education system in the country, as well as a broad range of social justice issues, from women's issues to the environment. Okay, so that's quite a range of different topics uh, that you guys engage in. One important topic, as I mentioned in the beginning, was water, and that's something that we're going to be chatting about uh, today. What does Winnipeg City Council approve, David, regarding this? Uh, so, yeah, well, before we begin on that, we just want to tell you where we're coming from, uh, from a fairly princi- principled position that water is a human right, it's a sacred right, and it's a public trust. Uh, so that's the position that we're taking, as well as a number of environmental and social justice coalitions from across the country and across the world, for that matter. What happened here in Winnipeg back in, in November of 2008 uh, was the city decided through to commission uh, a Deloitte and Touche report uh, looking into entering into a private strategic partnership uh, with a particular company that will be investing in the, in the cities, sort of upgrading the water infrastructure here in the city uh, and entering into a P3 relationship with this private company. So back in July, on July 22nd, uh, City Council voted in favor of entering into a strategic partnership, they call it, with a private company to take over some of the financing and operations of Winnipeg's water and wastewater department. Uh, there is quite a bit of public outcry over this. Uh, there is fairly uh, insignificant lack of uh, consultation with the public on what this company is going to look like, what areas of the water and wastewater facilities this company is going to be taking over, and who exactly the company is going to be. There's a lot of different multinational organizations uh, and corporations that do operate water and wastewater services in different countries. Uh, and we're very curious about which company that would be. Uh, so it was voted upon. There is uh, City Hall was flooded with uh, people against the proposition. And uh, there's a quote from the mayor uh, sort of trying to appease those who are in City Hall uh, against this motion, saying that the sky isn't red, the world isn't flat, we're not privatizing water. And where it's come from there is most recently 
the short list of the private uh, interest, the strategic partners, so to speak. And who are uh, the big three, David? Yeah, the big three are, one is Veolia, formerly known as Vivendi, which is uh, a huge multinational, sort of what the Council of Canadians would call a water profiteer. The other one is CH2M Hill, which has a, an international reputation as sort of a disaster profiteer. It has some contracts in Iraq. Uh, and finally is Black & Veatch, similar to CH2M Hill. So these are the three companies that the city will be deciding upon uh, which one will be taking over this project in the coming months. And so what, in your eyes, is wrong with these three that are being considered? Uh, for sure. Well, Veolia, again, formerly known as Vivendi, uh, has this reputation as being a multinational water profiteer. Uh, they have had operations in uh, similar to Bechtel uh, out in Bolivia. And so they have operations, for example, in Israel uh, with some transportation issues going into the West Bank and bringing settlers there. Uh, Stockholm City Council rejected a bid from Veolia in Sweden after citizens took action recognizing that they're not going to support Veolia due to its practices in other countries. Uh, CH2M Hill, similarly, uh, Naomi Klein outlined in her book Shock Doctrine that CH2M Hill, uh, quote, was and really is in the vanguard of privatized disaster response and that in the case of a town called Sandy Springs, that the entire city infrastructure doesn't work for the city government anymore, but it works for CH2M Hill. Uh, finally, just a quick uh, about Black & Veatch, uh, is it also has construction contracts in Iraq following the U.S. invasion of that country uh, and is known as a Washington lobbyist and has contributed significant amounts of money uh, to U.S. government officials, to election campaigns, including George Bush. So there are some pretty shady records between, behind these three companies. Sounds like it. Definitely. And so when uh, we look at uh, our capital city, Ottawa, they mm -hmm. privatized water and then they rescinded on that privatization. What can we learn from them about that? Uh, I think, I mean, similar, uh, the city of Edmonton also has a relationship with EPCOR, a private public partnership with EPCOR, and uh, they're still in that relationship. And what we can sort of learn from Ottawa uh, and hopefully what we're going to learn from Winnipeg uh, is that public ownership and public operation of whether it's the water infrastructure or the wastewater infrastructure uh, is the best option for both the municipalities and for sort of the global struggle against the commodification of water and acknowledging that water is a human right and definitely not something that should be bought or sold. And so I guess time will tell on whether uh, or not we're going to join in with Ottawa. Now let's talk about uh, past campaigns with the U of W and their bottle ban. Yeah, definitely. So the Canadian Federation of Students Manitoba has been a significant player in ensuring that the University of Winnipeg implemented their bottled water-free campus. Uh, similar to now, uh, Memorial University of Newfoundland has also taken on the initiative. Uh, so the underlying, like I mentioned at the beginning, uh, the underlying goal is to establish institutions that will recognize that water is a public trust, uh, that with bottled water where people are paying $2, $2.25 uh, per bottle, which is something that is essentially free from, from a water fountain, is only perpetuating this, this myth that's growing in society that water is something that should be bought or that should be sold and should be essentially you know, going towards the profits of, of companies rather than 
uh, being enshrined as a public trust. So that was the background behind the University of Winnipeg bottled water ban. Uh, and it has been a growing movement. The Federation of Canadian Municipalities uh, recently uh, voted on encouraging municipalities across Canada. There's now over 69, 70 municipalities that aren't selling bottled water in their municipal facilities, like city halls, swimming pools, community centers. That's fantastic. So it's a growing movement. That's fantastic. And so where does the future uh, rest with this, David? Uh, pardon? Where does the future rest with this whole... Uh, privatization of water. Where where are we going to go with this, do you think? Uh, well, again, we're hoping that, I mean, for example, with bottled water, uh, that was a trend, and that trend is very quickly evaporating, pardon the pun. <laughs> and uh, so hopefully we're going to see that with enough public pressure here at municipal facilities with bottled water, people will start really taking a look at water as something different. And when it comes to City Council's decision, which will be coming up in January, uh, its decision on voting for uh, this company to take over, the, whether it's the financing or operations of the City of Winnipeg's municipal water and wastewater services. Uh, hopefully there will be continued public outcry, uh, whether it's for more consultation to see what the city's actual plan is, uh, or whether it's an outright refusal of having a, a, a multinational strategic partner takeover uh, portions, if not all, uh, of our water department here in the city. Well, our eyes and our ears uh, will be wide open to hear what is going to happen in January. We want to thank you for joining us, David, today on Alert Radio. And like I had mentioned, uh, we'll be keeping uh, our eyes and ears open. Perfect. Thanks. That was David Jacks of the Canadian Federation of Students right here in Manitoba. This is Alert Radio. I'm Jeff Hughes. I'm joined now by Herman Rosenfeld, a Toronto-based activist and a retired national staff person for the CAW. He is a sessional professor in the Labor Studies Department at McMaster University. Welcome to Alert Radio, Herman Rosenfeld. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for joining us. Now, we'd like you to tell us about the conference that just occurred this past weekend that covered issues such as labor and immigration. First off, can you tell us uh, who organized the conference? Well, it was actually it was called a workers' assembly. Start, it was started by the, the Socialist Project, the Labor, the Labor Committee of the Socialist Project, a, a group that I'm part of, a, um, a socialist group <laughs> in, based in Toronto. And uh, um, we immediately uh, reached out to working-class activists based in community groups and based in trade unions. And the idea of this was to uh, bring together uh, people fighting against the crisis, people fighting around a more or less anti-capitalist perspective in the trade union movement and in communities. And the idea was that this, um, the, the actual fight back really wasn't building what we, the direction we thought it would. And in particular, it was really important to build the links between the different segments of working class people uh, in uh, different communities, uh, labor. Um, people in the labor movement tended to, uh, the labor movement itself tended to be much more uh, moderate than we thought it necessary, didn't necessarily take an anti capitalist perspective, and, the, uh, and, had a, and didn't have much links with, the, with work, working class people outside of the organized uh, labor movement. And people in communities tended to be able tended to fight in, 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 in their independent silos 
around immigration issues, around anti-poverty issues, um, the different kinds of housing, the different kinds of ways that, that, that the crisis was cutting against people. So we thought it was really important to actually build a, 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 a more radical, um, a more militant, but also a more uh, a class-oriented uh, fight-back campaign, a series of fight-back campaigns. Uh, we called it assembly because we thought it would be a way of actually bringing together all these people, activists from these different segments, and we'd be able to discuss a number of different things over time. So uh, it's a roundabout answer to your question, but we initiated it. But uh, very soon there was a, a group of, we, we, we organized a series of consultations. We call them consultas, where we actually talked about different issues that divided us. Uh, we wanted to people, get people to weigh in on what this kind of an assembly and, and what we tried to build outside of it would be. Um, and uh, we had three of them. And one uh, talked about the, enti- for the entire project. Uh, secondly, was the second one we had was to talk about sort of like uh, the different perspectives that people in the anti-poverty movement and people in the organized trade union movement had about working with each other and building uh, and building uh, the fight back. And the third one was around the question of class. <clears throat> so basically, it was it started out as, as the socialist projects uh, initiative, and it got larger, although it, it didn't really get hugely large until the actual assembly itself. Well, tell yeah. us, uh, w- describe the assembly then for us, Herman well, Roosevelt. Well, uh, there were about 120 people there, and from all kinds of spaces, there are a number of different unions, like QP, CAW, OPSU, uh, OSSTF, USCW, SEIU, those things. And, uh, and also, uh, um, we had faculty, uh, university people, um, people from different uh, um, community groups, uh, queers against apartheid, the, the uh, the, uh, the labor against uh, labor for Palestine. No one is illegal. OCAP, Ontario Coalition Against Poverty, um, a whole series of organizations, and not just from Toronto. So it was pretty widespread. It would take me too long to read all the names. And what happened was we uh, we, we had it structured around uh, around workshops. So we can talk. The first workshop was on Saturday. Uh, it was it was around what do we have in common and what are some of the things that divide us. Uh, and, and why would we want to do something, build something bigger? Well, tell us about the highlight of this workers' conference that you uh, attended this weekend. Well, I, the, the, like I said, it was mostly workshops on Saturday, and, and the main thrust of the workshop was the, the fact that we need to build something more than just working individually in ways uh, indiv- as groups uh, or as individuals, and, and to try and orient our different, um, you know, both the working class community organizations and the, the trade union, the narrow trade union movement, towards a more class oriented and a big, a bigger approach, you know. And uh, people more or less agreed to that. Um, the second part of the day was what that might look like concretely, and that was a little bit more far afield. But at the end of the day, people came in, came away wanting to build uh, um, uh, not quite a formal organization, but more than just a network. So they called it a network of action, democratic, anti-capitalist, non-sectarian, based on militant and effective struggle and made up of individuals and groups. And we decided to set up a coordinating committee or a continuations committee to plan not just the next meeting and the next assembly, but actually to actually talk about what we could do together in terms of campaigns, whether they be bigger campaigns uh, than, than, than simply the components of what people are fighting for or supporting each other's struggles now. What a solidarity, communi- a solidarity uh, effort would mean in terms of, you know, in terms of building links between the uh, working class struggles in communities 
and the labor movement, more concrete uh, links, but also sitting down and discussing what are some of the political lessons of this. This was a lot. Of, a lot of the things that pushed people to, to want to do things like this were things like the, 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 the tremendous defeat that the auto workers suffered in not building a fight back against the, uh, against the, the government and, and the companies. And in particular, there's some public, the, the public sector uh, strikes that took place in, in Toronto and some in, in Windsor, where, uh, where there, was, there, was, there was a desire among different sections of people to, to actually support this. But politically, they, these struggles were rather, still rather isolated. How do you build those kinds of, uh, you know, a, a bigger struggle out of those, uh, a more political struggle around this? Workers were demonized in, in, both, in both instances. And there was very little to challenge them. How do you build a, uh, movements to challenge that? And inside those unions, how do you build uh, um, movements to make them more radical, less business-oriented, simply for the, 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 the narrow in- interests of, of, of the groups that are fighting in the short run? How do you get them more politicized, more democratic? Uh, and those are the kinds of things that we looked at. And it was quite interesting. Those are, and on Friday night, we invited... Uh, it wasn't formally part of the assembly. We invited a man, Steve Williams, who was the, uh, an organizer for an organization called Power, based in San Francisco. It talked about these kinds of, uh, of building sort of a, something that's more than an anti-poverty battle around different elements of community struggles uh, um, uh, and how to politicize it. It was quite interesting. Were there any notable absences to the conference, Herman? Yeah, I, I think that one of the weaknesses was that there, were, there weren't the complement of, of private sector, you know, workers and steel workers, uh, CAW. I mean, there are people from those unions, uh, Unite Here, but uh, um, there weren't that many. I mean, there weren't as many as people as there should have been in terms of people from, from the auto plants. There's like one person came. We try to get a lot more. And a couple of people from the U.S. came. People from the, uh, from the manufacturing, the private sector manufacturing unions. And I think that reflects... Um, uh, the, the depolitization that's taking place in those places, but also the, uh, the, the defeats the unions have faced and the, and, and the tremendous uh, you know, economic restructuring that's taking place there. That has to be a big component of doing this kind of thing. Is there anywhere that our listeners can go to review uh, the conference or any statements released by uh, the, attendan- the attendees? Well, there's, there's, there's stuff building up to the conference on, on the uh, Socialist Project website. Uh, and that can be Googled quite easily. I forget exactly what the exact website is. But I think we're going to probably be setting up something more formal that people will be able to read about the, 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 this discontinuations committee, uh, this coordinating committee, which was setting up uh, subcommittees, hopefully discuss campaigns, what solidarity committees might be, educational work, and uh, also communications infrastructure. So I, I presume there will be something rather soon. Okay, well, uh, Herman Rosenfeld, thank you for joining us here on Alert to discuss the Workers' Assembly that uh, was attended by a wide variety of groups uh, this past weekend in the Toronto area. Yeah, I just want to say that 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 coordinating committee actually was made up of individuals from all of these different groups. And if you look at the the people on that group, they're pretty pretty amazing. And one of the things they also want to do is outreach to other, not just to other groups that are similar to that, but also to uh, people of of different, uh, different communities. Well, thank you for joining us here on Alert Radio today. Okay, thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. 
This is Alert Radio. I'm Jeff Hughes. Now, a guest interview with DAM, Da Arabian MCs. They are Palestine's premier rap crew, and they recently visited Winnipeg alongside an event that premiered the film Slingshot Hip Hop. I'm here with Dem, Palestine's first hip hop group, um, sitting upstairs at the Park Theater while Slingshot Hip Hop, the film that they're one of the featured crewed in say what being yeah being screened <laughs> is being screened <laughs> thank you <laughs> um and uh i'm lucky to have dam with me right now and uh, i just have a couple of questions for them so my first question is lots has been made of the connections between palestinian rap and the original political rap that emerged out of the african-american ghettos but I'm just interested in some of the some of the differences between what you guys do and and that original political rap. Uh, there is this um, album of uh, Public Enemy. It's called Fear of a Black Planet, and everyone knows that Israel is afraid of the demographic uh, of the Arab birth, so they have a fear of an um, uh, Arab nation. Let's say. Uh, so that that start makes the strings attached, and um, I guess that the the common thing is the ghettos, the number of the prisoners, the numbers of the Arabs or black, in pre black or Me or um, uh, Spanish people or Latinos in prison, um, uh, being a minority. Minority, not just by number, but but also in the power of decisions and affection, uh, influence on 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 the daily issues uh, in in the country. I would say the different thing between um, between uh, African American hip hop and and uh, Arab hip hop is the culture. Different instruments, different uh, way of rhyming, different way of flow, different way. Although we are very influenced from the American hip hop, the, the, the African American hip hop, it's the Godfather. And politically, um, they were stole from their land. Our land were stolen from us. Still, both catastrophes, but uh, a bit different. So I'd say this is it. Great, thanks. Um, my next question um, is, also, is about your lyrics, and um, your lyrics cite a lot of Arabic and Palestinian poets, like Mahmoud Darwish and um, Tafik Zahad, pronouncing it properly. Uh, <laughs> it's not okay, but yeah, messing up the pronunciation. But you can correct me. But I was just wondering if you could explain a couple of the references to to poetry in your lyrics, and also. Where do you see you guys? Where do you see yourselves within a tradition of Arabic Palestinian poetry? Um, it's Mahmoud Darwish and Tawfiq Zayad. And nowadays he's he's still alive, Alhamdulillah. Um, uh, Samih Al Qasim. Sorry, forget the name. Um, the thing is, uh, it's like being a British guy and and not ever use the term to be or not to be. You know, it's it's something that you gotta use. Uh, and the basic, the basics of the knowledge, 
of the Palestinian awareness and the knowledge and and the intellectual level, the basics of it is is those poets, Mahmoud Darwish, uh, Tawfiq Ziyad, uh, uh, and all the um, all the Palestinian poets that that uh, wa was imprisoned, that was uh, transferred from their land, uh, and uh, some of them were killed. So that that's very important to know them about the second part. Uh, what was it? Um, I don't know. I've, uh, it's it's arrogant to answer this. I don't know. Maybe we should ask other people. I don't know. I I think that we are uh, influencing uh, a new generation, uh, a new language, and I don't know. Time will tell. Go figure. You have many artists who draws, uh, sing rock. I don't know what. Uh, let's let's see. Those those poets were not appreciated unless until a certain uh, period of time. So I don't know. Just have another question about the language because in English hip hop, you know, it's it's slang. You know, so much slang is used in the rap where it's not the kind of English that you hear. You know, if you go. Um, you know, into a restaurant or in a bureaucracy or something like that. And so I was wondering, is the Arabic that you guys, um, is your Arabic rap a kind of slang version of mainstream Arabic or is it more um, just um, the the kind of Arabic that you would just hear, that you would, you know, speak with your, you know, speak to your parents or... Well, uh, in the beginning when we started, we were uh, really into like hip hop and influenced 100% by hip hop, and we le we learned a lot uh, about the circ their circumstances through their lyrics, and knew what they're talking about through their lyrics. And when they used the slangs, we loved it even more. So uh, later on, when we started mixing our culture into the uh, hip hop, into the basic music of hip hop, when we mixed that uh, original beats of hip hop, uh, we we started mixing also all the Arabic instruments, and uh, part of this culture of mixing those instruments became also this change in the lyrics, and we started to put more of our slangs. And slings that uh, maybe if I'll use it in my city, five minutes away from my city, people over there won't understand it. Right. And a lot of uh, slings that all Palestinians use, but maybe Lebanese don't use. Or just, you know, slings. Uh, so it started a lot more. And even today, when we're going to perform, we're going to do a song called Chamatan Fagadan Hasase. No Arab going to understand that. No, it's, it's a slang that we use in our area, and that's it. And there's uh, all kind of slangs that uh, that taking from the street, like uh, for example, a slang of uh, of the because uh, lead is really uh, bad poverty, so there's a lot of drug dealing there. So there's a lot of slangs that just uh, those drug dealers are using. So we use use those stuff too, to to show more of the culture, because. Because it's like a film, when you want to show a scene of somebody crying, you got to show what's around it and what's, uh, what's the, with the feeling, how, what they eat, what they do. What they, so all those decoration things of slang, this make the message more powerful and people will feel you more. Great, thanks. Actually, my next question um, is about um, cinema. Um, so it's funny you mention it. But 
uh, Slingshot Hip Hop, as well as your, your videos on your website, have given you guys a lot of exposure. And I was just wondering how you how you guys go about pairing your lyrics with images. How we go less. How you go about pairing your 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 lyric your your music with with images? Yeah. How do you how do you how do you create a sort of um, visual complement to what you're doing musically? It's Jackie's work more than it's our work. We were just characters and figures. She was. All all we needed to do is to to inform her if we have a show, if we have a workshop. That's it. I didn't know about the story. The whole yeah, I knew we are we are being filmed about the slingshot hip hop, and I knew that Gaza people were filmed. Uh, I knew that Aka people were filmed. I knew that many many Arab uh, Palestinian rappers were filmed for the last for like around four or five years but I didn't know what's the result I, I I didn't know there's a story I didn't know there's I just thought you know reports so I guess uh, about the image thing uh, I, me personally mm, I do the music the music issue Jackie did the whole thing but Sohel's uh, it's been really really helpful uh, in creating scripts and um, Directing uh, with them clips, so that's that's so Helmore. Thanks. Well, I was going to ask if um, if you're involved in other projects that relate to Palestinian cinema, and I also wanted to know um, what are some of your favorite Palestinian films? Do you guys like Elias Suleiman or Hini Abu Assad um, or some of those directors? Uh, about uh, the cinema in general, uh, Slingshot Hip Hop is the biggest film that made about Palestinian music, and the best and the biggest film that made, and uh, Dam was part of it. But other than Slingshot Hip Hop, there was a lot of films that we we've been at, we've been at, like for the Jewish director Udi Aloni, who had a film called uh, Local Angel, and then he had a film called Forgiveness that we were both part of them. If you know Hani uh, Abu uh, Asad, who's the director of Paradise Night, he had a film before that called uh, called For Transit, and we made also a soundtrack for that. So we made a lot. But now, uh, but these days now, you have a new film called Checkpoint Rock. Uh, and in general, in cinema, we're working now. Me and Jackie are working on a film uh, that is a feature film, not uh, the, not documentary film. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of the whole art uh, thing in Palestine is getting bigger. If it's cinema or music or anything, and uh, all this all this thing coming out of uh, of uh, people being hungry for this kind of thing, because we have a lot of artists, but we don't have anybody to establish this art. So now everybody's doing it independently. Thanks. Um, my next question is a bit of a more broadly political question. And there's been a noticeably sharp, sharp turn towards the right in Israel in the past year, um, since and during the, the war in Gaza. Um, and it was a war that had a lot of mainstream Israeli support. And I was just wondering, um, have you seen that turn right? How have you seen that turn right? Words manifest itself and lid on the streets and just your day-to-day -day lives. I understand the question. <laughs> <laughs> the way 
I think that this policy, I think that the policy was, because it's uh, making the land Jewish, and it's left-wingers, left Zionist, and right Zionist, and they both want to make it Zionist. Zion, the, the, the problem here is not left or right. The problem here is Zionism. Uh, and uh, I believe that uh, maybe it's being shown more nowadays because and it's not from the Gaza war it's uh, I would say a few years before uh, October 2000 and I think that uh, their true face is being shown and which which is very important uh, unfortunately many kids are be uh, are dying during this uh, process but it's important for uh, it's it's it was important for me to know that it's not a matter of people are not aware of what's happening now if if they are aware if they are not aware fuck it they have the power they can do whatever they want and they can continue on it's not a matter of uh, justice is the strong uh, is justice is the strongest now if you are the strongest then justice is with you this that's the way it is nowadays so I think it's important for me as a Palestinian to be aware of that it's not just a matter of uh, being aware. It's a matter of uh, who's powerful more. And so the film Slingshot Hip Hop ends on a note of, of sort of fragile optimism. And I was just wondering if you, if you think that would need to be revised right now after the recent war in Gaza and just the last year of... Of politics I'm not optimistic at all <laughs> it's hard to be optimistic because um, again it's um, it's not fighting uh, it's not okay I will make songs make the people aware and that's it he's still missing oil money uh, arms weapons I mean, I, I respect my music and I love my music, but if I throw my CD over the wall, the CD will smash, not the wall. So let's be realistic. Um, art uh, can shape culture, which can change uh, fate, but art more is documenting in a metaphoric way uh, what's happening. But unfortunately, nowadays it's... Uh, the materialism decides what's uh, who survives and who who's not. So um, we had a, a bit of an interesting experience earlier today um, with the CBC and just certain things being lost in translation and people misunderstanding what exactly you guys do. And so I was just wondering, what are some of the maybe this was freak, maybe it wasn't, but what are some of the the common misconceptions? that people have about your music and about what you do when you come to North America or to Europe um, and and face these kinds of people? What kind of misconceptions do they have about you? And this will be the last question. Well, it's not that we... It's not that we're surprised by this kind of thing and it's not that we're having this kind of things just out of the country. We have this thing in the country. 
it happened to us that uh, we've been censored it happened for us that uh, that they call us for an interview and uh, the second that we want to step to the interview they coming to us and starting to beg us please don't say anything about USA please don't say anything about the Arab countries please don't say that I heard an interview over there and you said something about this please don't so we have this kind of things that which was worse than what we had today which was maybe a misunderstanding and few weird looks of uh, ignorant people that we met there but uh, it's not surprising it's great well thank you guys so much for your time good luck <laughs> Hi, this is Music is a Weapon. I'm Mitch Podolik, your host, and today's show is mostly about hurricanes and storms. You know, there's, a, there's an old joke that I've, I've known all my life about two old guys who retired and coincidentally were sitting next to each other on a beach in Florida. You know, there they were under their umbrellas and drinking Mai Tais, and they eventually got into a conversation, and one guy said to the other, he said, so what brings you here to Florida? The first guy says, well, I owned a restaurant, and we had this terrible, terrible grease fire in the kitchen, and the the whole place burnt down. And so when I got the insurance money, I had a decision to make, so I took the money, and I retired. And the second guy says, isn't that interesting? He says, I had a very similar experience, but we didn't have a fire. We had a flood. And the first guy looks at the second guy and says, tell me, how do you start a flood? Red River is rising, Red River make you pray Red River's like death, all the old people say You can put your whole life in this piece of clay And the Red River comes and takes it all away Red River comes and takes it all away Takes it all away Takes it all away From way up here it looks like a dream Winnipeg sitting like an island in a stream White cat waves in the prairie fields Swallowed up the farmhouse halfway up the trees Red River is rising, Red River make you pray
That was Murray McLaughlin with the Red River Flood. You know, the thing that probably has been one of the most interesting things that happened in North America in the last 50 years is Hurricane Katrina and what it did to New Orleans. New Orleans being the font of, of so much North American music. It, you know, the army was off there in Iraq and folks were starving to death and drowning and living in that, in that damn football bowl and the government of Cuba, of course, offered to help and Bush turned it down. I always thought that was great because Cuba, of course, has the highest and the best medical system in the world. That experience of Katrina and the people of New Orleans wasn't unique. This has happened twice before in American history. It happened in 1900. Sorry a second. It happened before. It happened in 1900 in Galveston. It happened again in Tupelo, Mississippi. Here is Eric Von Schmidt with Wasn't That a Mighty Storm? Blew the people all away 
people that's striped and drowned in died most everywhere Mm-hmm. 
Schmidt with Mighty Storm. I think when history is written that what happened in New Orleans will be George Bush's real epitaph, you know. That's the real thing. If you want to know about war criminal, there he was, a war criminal in America. Wonderful, eh, folks? One of the neat things about being active in folk music is that every once in a while a new voice comes along, and sometimes those new voices are just great. Here's a song by a new, a relatively new songwriter, American, political, active, lovely man, Joe Jenks, singing Rise as One. With your children after school We keep the buildings warm in winter And cool when it's hot And we will not let you pay us for the fool When we ask for better health care Or an increase in our wage You tell us that the township can't afford to pay the bill But you found half a million dollars back and break our will We will never give up We will never give in And we'll never ever go away We will build a brand new future for our daughters and our sons We will work till all workers rise as And the future of our town And the children that we serve from day to day Whenever there's a need We always go the extra mile God knows we do it for the love, not for the pain We have worked as hard as any For every inch of ground that we've gained in the struggle for our rights And we will not stand by height As you try to tear us down If we have to, we will organize a strike We'll never give up, let me hear you We will never give up We will never give in And we'll never ever go away Build a brand new future we will build a brand new future for our daughters. 
till all workers rise as one. Well, we didn't have a penny in the strike fund, sad but true. That made us all a little bit afraid. But the call went out to every other union in the state And somehow all the workers' bills were paid You see, this isn't just our struggle And it isn't just our jobs And it isn't just the schools within our town When we dare to raise our voice Solidarity we stand Every other worker all the world around will never give up. We will never give up. We will never give in. And we'll never, ever go away. Build a brand new future. We will build a brand new future for our daughters and our sons. We will work till all workers rise as one. Drum up some support for our campaign A thousand people hit the streets That's more than half our town And after that, you know things couldn't be the same Well, whoever would have guessed it When this whole thing began We'd have the strength to hold out for so long but three months have now gone by And the school board just gave in On their demands Now we can sing our victory song We'll never give up, let me hear you We will never give up We will never give in And we'll never ever go away Build a brand new future We will build a brand new future For our daughters and our sons We'll work till all workers rise as one. Never give up. We will never give up. We will never give in. And we'll never ever go away. We will build a brand new future for our daughters and our sons. We will work till all workers rise as one. our daughters and our sons we will work till all workers rise as one That was Joe Jenks with Rise is One. This is Music is the Weapon. I'm Mitch Podolik. I'll see you next week. And that is Alert Radio for October 8th, 2009. I'm Jeff Hughes. I'm Chris Alby. And we hope that you can join us again next week. See you then.
Thanks, as usual, to the people that help us put this radio program together. Our technical producer, Tommy Allen. And our executive producer, Cy Gonick. Also, Mitch Padalek for Music is the Weapon. Alert Radio is a production of Canadian Dimension Magazine. And you can hear it in 12 cities across the country in community and campus radio stations. You can also log on to rabble.ca or canadiandimension.com. Also, Mitch Padalek for Music is the Weapon. And if you'd like to send us your ideas, comments, or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at alert at canadiandimension.com.